one aspect of the pandemic in the UK has become deeply controversial, the death toll in our care homes. I think there's a feeling that things must change radically in how the sector is viewed in government. Why do things seem to have gone so badly wrong for our most vulnerable citizens and the people who care for them? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, care homes. What went wrong? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code SUMMER. Does the Prime Minister accept that the government was too slow to protect people in care homes? The Prime Minister has been asked to account for 10,000 unexplained deaths in care homes. What we've seen is a concerted action plan to tackle what is unquestionably been uh, an appalling epidemic in care homes. Care home deaths in England and Wales now account for 40% of all deaths from coronavirus. And one result has been a political row. There should be some investigation. We seeded the virus into our care homes. Tests and- so that we now have more tests yes. in this country than any other European country. And also... It looks as if you're scrambling to catch up in care homes. You're offering tests for everybody in care homes now. But what's the use of a single test if I'm working in a care home? Hello, Greg. Hello. Did you want to have a chat with Irene? Yes, please, yes. Greg Hurst, the Times Social Affairs correspondent, has been investigating the situation in care homes across the country since the second week of lockdown. In the beginning, all he had was his phone. Hold on, then I'll just put Irene on two seconds. Hello. Hello, Irene. My name is Greg and I'm a reporter. Oh, yes. What can I do for you? What, What is your surname, Irene? Owen. Owen, lovely. And how old are you, Irene? How old am I? Yes. Oh, <laughs> One of the things we always do as reporters is, is ask interviewees their age. And when I asked Irene, immediately she chastised me because she had such a mischief in her voice, such a sense of fun. I'm going to be 92 next birthday, which is right. in... Uh, I can let them know in here what day it is. Yes, lovely, yep, yep, yep. So I'll have a card, you see. Yes. And so th- these are very odd times with no visitors allowed and all this. H- how-, how are you finding it? Well, getting on all right, really. Yes. Because uh, you-, you do know where I come from Wales, do you? Yeah, I-, I guessed from your surname. And she was very, very proud of being Welsh and told me 
her heritage several times. And her story seemed to encapsulate for me how many of these carers doing this tough work were going the extra mile. And Irene told me how she was feeling a bit down in the dumps one day. Yesterday I was feeling a bit browned off, you know. Being of her age and generation, she wasn't very comfortable or familiar with technology. Uh, you call them and we listen to them half the time. Is it an iPad or a... Oh, video, video. Video. Video, yes. Next thing I know, there's my son staring at me. She said to one of the carers she really wanted to speak to her children. And all of a sudden, she described, up on a screen popped her son David. And she said to me... I told him, what are you doing here? I thought you were in South Wales. We're down in Pendine. What, what are you doing talking to your mum? Oh, well, he said, well, I thought it would cheer you up if I could say hello to my mother. I said, yes, well, that was rather nice. Bit of a shock, though. <laughs> and he was in South Wales. He was in South Wales, but there he was on an iPad in front of her, enabled by the staff able to cheer her up. Then how did you go about collecting more about this story? That initial investigation gave me an overview of the sector and how staff, how residents, owners of care homes were were feeling. But the next stage was to get inside a care home if we could. And so with my colleague Michael Clark from the Times video team, we were able to go, remarkably, to go inside a, a care home in High Wycombe called The Heights. When we got to the care home, they uh, met us at the threshold, insisted we wash our hands with sanitizer, watched us put on pairs of gloves and told us about the social distancing arrangements that would operate inside the care home. One of the most remarkable impressions it made upon me was talking to relatives who had parents, in most cases, living in a care home, who they were not able to visit. It was very, very heartbreaking. I met one woman, Sonia Bell. Hello, I'm Greg from The Times. Hi. There's my colleague, Michael. Hi, Hi. nice to meet you. Whose mother was a resident in this care home. And Sonia wasn't able to visit her, but went round and tapped on the window to get her mother's attention. Hello. Are you all right, Mum? And her mother, who has dementia, smiled through the window but didn't recognise that that's the nature of dementia. Mum, it's Sonia. (laughs) She's more interested in Hello, darling. Smile, Mum. (laughs) That's it. Sonia told me that normally on a visit she would sit with her mother. You know, when we go in... We do our hair and we cuddle and our nails and everything. But But it was this physical intimacy that was so important to her daughter that she wasn't able to have because of the the lockdown. And she was just standing outside the window. She was in tears as she stood outside of the window, tapping, calling her mum, and then she turned to me and said... I find all this very hard, if you want the honest truth. (laughs) but she's in a really good place. I find this very hard. What about the people who actually work there? What have they been saying to you? There's a mixture of feelings. One is of anger, 
a feeling that they had been left to fend for themselves. But there was also a remarkable resilience among many of the staff that I met. My name is Kimberly Ross. I'm a care assistant on a nursing unit. Kimberly works in a care home in York and she articulates the anger among many carers at not being appreciated. One of the things that really annoys myself being a care assistant and my colleagues is that we've always been classed as unskilled workers, just a carer, as it's known. It's all very well being told you're a key worker, but if your pay is pretty much as it's always been, if you're working these shifts at unsocial hours that you've always been working, what has really changed? Truthfully, I think we should actually get actually paid and recognised for the work we're actually doing. Kimberly's scared that her care home might run out of this personal protective equipment. Because what you hear or see on the TV is that so many doctors, nurses, carers have already died. It actually makes you quite angry. You're angry because it's not being in control. You're not in control what's happening in your life. I've come across many instances where care companies ordered or even arranged the purchase of batches of this personal protective equipment and found it impounded and was told it was being redirected for the NHS, which is really quite a remarkable demonstration of the sense of priorities the government seemed to be signalling. Did Kimberley feel that she was treated differently because, unlike the NHS... Most care homes are in the private sector and they were regarded as private employees, someone else's business. I think that was a big factor. I take my hat off to everybody that works in the hospital. I have family members who have nurses, but they respect me. And I work in a private care home. Let's remember that care in a care home is happening in a a sector that's hidden from sight to most people. But it takes something like this to be recognised. People tell us that we're under the same category as the NHS, but we're not the NHS. We are private care homes. We all respect the NHS, especially being in care, but there's a lot of private care industries that are only just getting the respect now and being recognised for actually the work they do. The sort of work they're doing is out of the public gaze in a way that health workers are not. When one of our elderly relatives was in a care home, there used to be quite a few people were brought in from the outside to play music or to give lectures and so on. It must be really difficult for the staff when none of those things are available. You have this whole host of people who would ordinarily come into a typical care home who range from hairdressers, beauticians, entertainers, clergy. You have people like um, fitness instructors. And so staff have tried to replicate these with video link, church services, fitness sessions, entertainment. And also, in many cases, I saw staff doing this themselves. And it's not just the care staff. I saw cleaners. I saw other members of the ancillary staff going the extra mile to look after and to cheer up and to entertain residents is very, very a very powerful experience. What kind of thing? I was told about, for example, a, a karaoke where every member of staff put aside their self-consciousness and just put on a, an impromptu entertainment for the residents just to cheer them up because they couldn't have their normal entertainers coming in. Well, we had a good day today. 
We spent most of it making Union Jack Bunting ready for our big celebration on Friday. Karen is a care worker who works down in Bournemouth on the south coast. We're going to have the Aphrodite's duo. They're going to be performing in the garden for us, so we're going to be able to sit on the terrace to make sure that we keep that social distance. She was much more focused on the positives. We would often talk about successes they've had in providing entertainment. We are praying for good weather. We're going to have the girls singing in the garden. We're going to be having a fish and chip lunch on the terrace, eating out of newspaper, drinking dandelion and burdock, shandy. But it's tough. It is. So this is a sector where there's already a very high vacancy rate, typically about 8%. During this pandemic, the absentee level of carers has been high. It's about 30%, I've been told. It's hard to get actual figures, and this is because of illness or shielding or self-isolation. And so these care homes are running on a reduced staff, and so you have fewer staff working in these care homes, but with much more pressure on them. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. As of now, do we know how many people have died in care homes across the UK? Last week, the Office for National Statistics published a figure that showed that deaths of care home residents have reached... 12,526. And importantly, about a quarter of these were residents living in care homes, but whose death occurred in a hospital. But in addition, there have been a further 10,000 deaths higher than you'd normally expect during this period, so-called excess deaths. And this may be from residents in care homes who otherwise would have been sent to hospital because of the nature of their condition, and either they weren't able to go or a decision was taken to provide end-of-life care in the care home. And so, altogether, the so-called excess deaths over the past five, six months have been about 23,000. So that's about 23,000 more people than would have died in care homes in a normal year. That's right. Yesterday's ONS figures showed that at least 40% of all deaths from COVID-19 were in care homes. Does the Prime Minister accept that the government was too slow to protect people in care homes? No, Mr Speaker, it wasn't true that the uh, advice said that. And actually, uh, we brought the lockdown in uh, care homes ahead of the the general lockdown. And uh, what we've seen is a concerted action 
plan to tackle what has unquestionably been uh, an appalling epidemic. Last week, this issue was raised in Parliament at Prime Minister's Question Time. What happened? Well, Sir Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour Party, challenged Boris Johnson over advice given out by Public Health England. This was guidance on February the 25th, which told the social care sector that it was very unlikely people in care homes would become infected. But we've established the government did know that care homes are at risk when this advice was issued. This came from a group that advises the government called the Scientific Pandemic Influenza Group on modelling. And we found that two weeks beforehand, this group was advising the government that there was a realistic probability that there was already sustained transmission in the UK or that transmission would become established in the coming weeks. So the government gave that advice directly contrary to the information it was receiving. And this meant care homes were put at unnecessary risk because of it. So it was pertinent of Keir Starmer to challenge Boris Johnson on this. And the government wasn't able fully to explain why. So let me get this straight. In February, this advisory committee says there's a realistic probability. On February the 25th, Public Health England says to care homes and others, it's very unlikely people in care will be infected. How do we square those? It does seem baffling. Certainly the government will have a number of different sources of advice of which this group on modelling would have been one. But this advice saying that it was very unlikely there would be infection in care homes stayed in place until the second week in March. So that's over a month? Indeed, that's right. We seem to have made a trade-off between avoiding having the NHS being overwhelmed by coronavirus patients and by demand on the one hand and saving lives in care homes on the other. What's certainly true is that the stated focus of the government in the early stages was to stop the NHS from becoming overwhelmed. And it was there in the slogan, wasn't it? Stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives. In the first instance, we want to protect the NHS. In what way would that have a knock-on effect for care homes? Well, the most striking example of this was a decision in mid-March to discharge 15,000 patients from hospitals in order to free up hospital beds. A significant number went to care homes and, in most cases, were not tested. And it's quite clear if you talk to care home operators... They think that was the source of many infections coming into care homes. They think that the patients who left hospitals, who went into care homes, may have been the source of many infections. Is that because they didn't have the capacity to isolate them or they didn't have the PPE to stop the carers looking after them contracting the virus? Partly it was the absence of testing, so there was no certainty. And many care homes would have treated these patients as though they should be isolated and assumed to have the coronavirus. But remember, with some of the people we're talking about, particularly people with dementia, it's very, very difficult to tell residents with dementia to isolate in their own room for 14 days. And did the care home staff, you actually, in reality, quite apart from their feeling, did they actually have access to sufficient PPE so that they could move, if you like, from a patient that may have been admitted with coronavirus to then dealing with the residents already there? This would have varied enormously. So some care home providers bought their own stocks well in advance and were well supplied. Others found it much more difficult to get hold of certain items, particularly face masks at various points. And also they told me there was great confusion in the guidance from the government as to how to use this 
protective equipment, particularly whether it should be disposed of after seeing each resident or after a whole session. So there was confusion. Now, our two famous front people for the government have been uh, Chris Whitty and Patrick Vallance. Did any of them have anything to say about it? Even on the 5th of March, Chris Whitty, who's the government's chief medical officer, was telling uh, members of parliament that it was highly likely the disease was being transmitted in the community. So by that stage, has the advice to care homes changed? It remained in place for a further week until March the 12th when it was withdrawn. So unless you're a care home owner watching Chris Whitty give his evidence, you wouldn't have known that the advice had changed? There's no way you would have known or could have known. Now, as you said, in mid-March, the health department says to the NHS, we need more free beds, you've got to let people go, and some of them come to the care sector. Presumably, if they then bring the coronavirus with them, the coronavirus is then in the care home. Does that create any additional problems about how the care home then has to deal with, let's say, sending its residents to hospital? Yes, this picture was very uneven across the country. So in some cases, care homes were able to send residents who were ill with the coronavirus to hospital. In other cases... I was told where care homes were told they either rang 111 or sent a resident to hospital in an ambulance and were refused admission. We're told, I'm sorry, you're on your own, effectively. You must deal with this. I don't imagine that was good for the health of the particular residents. It must be extremely distressing and frightening. And potentially fatal. We won't know until and unless there's an inquiry what the consequences of those decisions were. But yes, it certainly may have been. Greg, hadn't we had some clues or weren't we beginning to see some clues from other countries that there would be a care home problem? This is one of the surprising things because we were slightly behind the curve compared to other large European countries. And if you remember, there was a horrific story in March from Madrid where the army discovered the bodies of many care home residents in a home that appeared to have been abandoned. And again, there were cases in uh, Italy of high rates of infection in some care homes in the north of Italy and some in France as well. So it was very clear looking across continental Europe, that there was a high degree of risk of fatal infection in care homes. But also, you didn't really need to see that, did you? All you needed to know was that the coronavirus was most likely to kill elderly people with pre-existing conditions. And where do you have the greatest concentration of those people? In care homes. By their definition, care homes contain people who are vulnerable on many counts because of their age, uh, in many cases because of other complex health conditions. So, yes, vulnerable many times over. Right from the start, it's been clear that this horrible virus affects older people most. So right from the start, we've tried to throw a protective ring around our care homes. Last week, both Matt Hancock, the health secretary, and Boris Johnson said that the care homes had been locked down early. And last Friday, Matt Hancock actually said, and I'm quoting here, ministers had tried to throw a protective ring around care homes right from the start of the outbreak. Now, is that your experience and understanding? Well, no, it's not. And the answers that Matt Hancock and Boris Johnson gave are surprising. It's certainly true that that many care home operators, on their own initiative, stopped visitors from coming in ahead of the lockdown. 
But when Boris Johnson was challenged about this, his spokesman directed reporters to some guidance issued by Public Health England on March the 13th. And what that guidance said is that care homes should review their visiting policy and not have visitors who were suspected of having COVID-19 or had been unwell and to tell them to wash their hands. But it also said these restrictions should be balanced with a consideration of the well-being of residents and the positive impact of seeing friends and family. So at the very best, it seems a puzzling statement to have made. Doesn't really sound like a protective ring, does it? No, no. And if there was a protective ring, it was on the initiative of care home operators themselves. What do the people you spoke to in care homes think will happen in them as a result of their experience during the pandemic? How how do the carers, Kimberly and Karen, who we heard from earlier, how do they feel? I think there's a feeling that things must change radically in how the sector is viewed in government and the priority it's given vis-a-vis the National Health Service. We don't know if we want to stay in this industry. It's killing us. The virus is just killing us mentally. And to see people dying, it's bad enough as it is, but to see them in this situation, we just can't handle it. It's not good. I'm sorry. Kimberley's view is that the experience means that it will be harder to find people to work in the sector, that some people just will not want to be care workers, given the experiences. For a long time, there's been a feeling in the social care sector that it has been a Cinderella service and played second fiddle to the NHS. Karen was of the opinion that the sector will come back stronger and has become more resilient because of the experience that people working in it have had. Yes, we have days when we've felt a bit low, but there's always somebody in the team that's going to bring you back up again. And as we keep saying to the residents, it's not forever. They've been through worse, and we'll get through this together. I found it very troubling that care homes didn't seem to have got the attention initially that they should have had. But I did find this. I found it tremendously inspiring to have met and talk to so many carers. And the test for all of us when we're talking about care homes should be, I think, uh, if that was my mum, my dad, in that home, would I be comfortable? Would I be happy? Would I be reassured? And I met so many staff where the answer to that question for me would have been an emphatic yes. One thing I wonder as well is... It's going to be quite easy here to blame the government or to blame the authorities... But what you seem to have been looking at is a, is a long-term cultural problem, which is that we as a people haven't wanted to know much about social care and care homes. That's partly the case, but, but a big factor in the background to what's gone wrong in care homes is a, an inability by politicians to agree on how social care should be funded. It's a thing that successive governments have avoided, have kicked the can down the road. Greg... Are you hoping that the experience of the pandemic, awful as it's been, may lead us to actually make the changes to the care home sector and the way we support it that are necessary? There's been an urgent and obvious need for a a, a lasting settlement in how social care is funded for many, many years. This was already 
on the agenda of Boris Johnson's government. And I expect the experience of this pandemic to have pushed it significantly higher up his agenda. Why? Because we voters will make it or because they'll do it out of the goodness of their own hearts? I think that um, social care has been forced into the political agenda in a way we hadn't expected. I imagine that voters will, will demand it. During his reporting on this crisis, Greg contacted the Department for Health. They told him, every death from this virus is a tragedy and we're working around the clock to give the social care sector the equipment and support they need to tackle this unprecedented global pandemic. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Social Affairs Editor at The Times, Greg Hurst. Also thanks to Michael Clark from The Times video team. You can read more of Greg's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers were Will Rowe, Asia Fuchs and James Shield. The executive producer is Leo Hornack and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella, music by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. You can subscribe for free. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and more. In these uncertain times, you can access analysis, opinion and advice from the experts every day with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Visit thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe today to find out more. See you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.